ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا وسيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله اما بعد so we've been having a look at how the sunnah was preserved in the early times during the time of the prophet muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam during the time of the companions and today we'll have a look at moving on how the sunnah was preserved during the time of the tabi'een and they are the next generation after the companions we spoke about the time of the companions now we'll move on and speak about the time of the tabi'in and some of what they did in terms of preserving the sunnah fama kada asr as-sahabati yanqadi liyabda' asr at-tabi'in hatta bada' buzugh shams al-fitan wal-ahwa' wal-bid'ah one of the things that occurred historically is that towards the end of the time of the companions and the beginning of the time of the tabi'in during that time zone it was a time when a lot of trials tribulations began lot of the people of innovation or various innovations began to arise وذلك ان اعداء الاسلام من يهود ونصارى ومجوس وصابئه وفلاسفه شرقوا بهذا او شرقوا بهذا الدين الذي حمله هؤلاء الصحابه الكرام الى الناس كافه and because those who were in opposition from the Jews, the Christians, the fire worshippers, the Magians, the, the worshippers of the stars, the sun, the moon, the philosophers, all of those types of people who were being choked by this sunnah, which was preserved from the Prophet ﷺ, they were all being choked by this sunnah. It was a great burden upon them, restricting them not allowing them to follow their desires and their misguidances so it was a big problem for all of those different people of innovation people of desires they had a great difficulty with the sunnah that the companions were carrying the sunnah that the companions were conveying كما ضاق هؤلاء الاعداء ضرعا بتلك الانتصارات العظيمه التي حققها الاسلام وذلك الانتشار الصريع في انحاء الارض also another thing which occurred during the end or towards the end of the time of the sahaba and the time of the tabi'in beginning by then islam had begun to spread far and wide many lands had been conquered and were opening up to Islam. This was also something that caused a problem 
to the people of desires, the people of innovation, that the true Islam was spreading everywhere. The Sahaba had opened up many different countries and lands, and the Sunnah had spread to those areas. وَلَمَّا لَمْ تُجِدْ تُجْدِهِمْ الْمُقَاوَمَ عَلَى سَقْرِيَّ لِهَذَا الْمَدْءِ الْإِسْلَامِ شَيْئًا رَامَ هَؤُلَى الْعَدَاءَ الْمَكَرَ وَالْكَيْدِ لِهَذَا الدِّينُ أَهْلَى Physically, militarily, in that regard, the people of innovation couldn't couldn't put up a fight against the companions or the tabi'een. Physically, they couldn't do that, and that was not their move. Instead, the people of desires, the people of innovation at the time, their plots and their plans were devised in distorting the religion and the understanding of it to the people. It was a plan that was internal, that they would attempt to distort and to uh, plot and plan from within to the people of the Sunnah. فَأَخَذُوا يُثِيرُونَ الْفِتَنُ وَالشُّكُوكُ وَشُبُهَاتُ بَيْنَ الْمُسْلِمِينَ وَخَاصَ حَدِيثِي لَحْبِ الْكُفَرِ So it's known that they began spreading their doubts, began spreading their desires and whims, their whisperings amongst the Muslims to create confusion and create doubts amongst them, in particular those who were new to Islam at the time. وَكَانَتْ بِدَايَةْ تِلْكَ الْفِتْنِ بِكَسْرِ ذَلِكَ الْبَابِ الَّذِي أَخْبَرَ عَنْهُ حُذَيْفَةً رضي الله عنه فيما رواه عنه الإمام مسلم في صحيحه عندما سأله أمير المؤمن عمر رضي الله عنه عن الفتنة التي أخبر عنها المصطفى صلى الله عليه وسلم أنها تموج كموج البحر فقال له حذيفة The beginning of all of these trials and tribulations The beginning of all of this era where these great trials occurred It is mentioned Regarding the door that was broken down. The door that was broken down, which Hudayfa radiallahu anhu narrated, and it was mentioned that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam had informed of that occurring. And when Umar ibn al-Khattab asked Hudayfa, what is the meaning of this, that there is a door that is going to be broken? فَقَالَ لَهُ حُذَيْفَ مَا لَكَ وَلَهَا يَا أَمِيرَ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ إِنَّ بَيْنَكَ وَبَيْنَهَا بَابًا مُغْلَقًا Hudayfa said to Umar ibn Khattab, what is it? Why does it concern you between you and those fitan occurring is a closed door. Between you, Amir al-Mu'mineen, Umar ibn Khattab, and that trial and tribulation occurring, there is a closed door. There is a closed door. فَقَالَ Umar, وَهَلْ يُفْتَحِ الْبَابِ أَمْ يُكْسَرِ So Umar ibn al-Khattab asked him, and that door, will it be opened eventually, or will it be broken down? This door that is maintaining the peace, maintaining the the, the sunnah preserving the affair 
and the trials and tribulations are not coming in this door that you speak of, will it eventually just be opened or will it be smashed down? فَقَالْ بَلْ He said it will be broken down. قَالْ فَإِنَّهُ حَرِيٌّ أَلَّا يُغْلَقْ مَرَّ أُخْرَى And he said, it is such that when it is broken down, it will not be closed again. وَأَخْبَرَ حُذَيْفَ فِي الْحَدِيثِ أَنَّ عُمَرْ كَانَ يَعْلَمْ أَنَّهُ هُوَ الْبَابِ كَمَا يَعْلَمْ أَنَّ دُونَ غَدٍ الْلَيْلَةِ And it is mentioned that Umar ibn al-Khattab knew that he himself was the intended person by this door. That Umar ibn al-Khattab was the vanguard. He was that door preventing all of those trials and tribulations from coming in. He was that blockage preventing the people of innovation in spreading their deviance. But that when he goes, that's when that door is now wide open for the people of innovation. وَكَانَ كَسْرُ ذَلِكَ الْبَابِ بِقَتْلِ عُمَرِ And so the breaking down of this door was by the killing of Umar ibn al-Khattab رضي الله عنه أرضاه وَذَلِكَ بِمُؤَامَرَةْ مَجُوسِيَّةِ صَلِيبِيَّةِ وَبِذَلِكَ انْفَتَحَ بَابُ الْفِتْنِ الَّتِي كَانَ عُمَرَ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ تَعَالَى عَنْهُ بَابًا مُوسَدًا فِي وُجُوهِ أَصْحَابِهَا So by the killing of Umar ibn al-Khattab, that's when the door to trials and tribulations was laid wide open. He was that blockage initially. So when that happened, and the people of innovation, the people of desires, they began to spread their deviations, they began to spread their, their false beliefs, then the role of the tabi'een became even more important. The responsibility of the tabi'een became even more important. Because now, after Umar ibn al-Khattab and then as time went by and the companions, they all passed away and the tabi'een now came, the people of desires were spreading their beliefs. So there was a big responsibility upon the tabi'een to ensure that the original pure sunnah from the Prophet ﷺ through the companions was maintained and preserved. So it's mentioned, وَعِنْدَ إِنْتِشَارْ هَذِهِ الْفِتَنِ وَالْبِدَعْ وَالْأَهْوَاءِ سَلَكَتِ الْأَجْيَالِ التَّالِيَةِ لِجِيلِ الصَّحَابَةِ الْأَخْيَارِ مِنَ التَّابِعِينَ وَتَابِعِيهِمْ وَمَنْ بَعْدَهُمْ مِنْ أَهْلِ الْقُرُونِ الْمُفَضَّلَةِ طُرُقًا وَمَجَالَاتُ أُخْرَى لِحُفْظِ السُنَّةِ وَالْعِنَايَ بِهَا حَسْبِ الْإِمْكَانَاتِ وَالْوَسَائِلِ الْمُتَوَفَّرَ لَهُمْ فِي تِلْكَ الْعُصُورِ So, when all of these innovations began to spread, and at the head of them at the time, it was the innovation of the Qadariyya, those who spoke with false speech regarding the decree of Allah, the Jahmiyya, the Rafidha, the Mu'tazila, those types of groups were the early groups that emanated and arose at that time, and their beliefs began to spread at that time. So then the tabi'een, they had a responsibility and they took various means 
various methods they employed and utilized to make sure that the sunnah was preserved. One of those was, as previously, they focused on memorization. They focused on memorizing the sunnah, memorizing the ahadith in order to preserve and maintain them upon their original form. They focused on memorization. That was one point. The second point, that they investigated the chains of narration. They would investigate the chains of narration for the ahadith to ensure that the narrations were authentic. They would follow up who narrated this from who, from where, from who. And they would check into those chains of narration to make sure that the narrators were all reliable, trustworthy, that the chain was good and strong. It was suitable and acceptable as authentic. So that was the second thing. They're checking up and investigating and analysis on the chains of narration. During the Sahaba, the time of the Sahaba, it wasn't that much of an issue. It wasn't an issue at all, in fact. As long as everybody in the chain was a Sahabi, then it didn't matter. Because all of the Sahaba are reliable, trustworthy, authentic. There's nothing to check. But now when you get to the next generation, the Tabi'een, Tabi'een now narrating through those chains, the Tabi'een needed to verify the chains. Not the Sahaba, at the level of the Sahaba, they are verified. They are, there's nothing to verify. But before, below the Sahaba, the Tabi'een, they needed to check that everybody narrating these hadith are authentic narrators, trustworthy and reliable narrators, that the chains were valid. The third thing they did, which is a follow-up from the second point, is that they went and investigated all of these people in those chains of narration. Who is this man? What is he about? Is he a reliable person? Is he not? What does he do? What doesn't he do? What does he say? What doesn't he say? How does he behave? What's his religion? Is he trustworthy? Does he lie? What's his uh, belief? They would go and investigate the men in the chains of narration. And that's why now, you have books, huge books, 20, 30 volumes big, with the names of the narrators from those early generations and their biographies, from what they researched at the time, and scholars, they recorded that. You have books now, the narrators of hadith, and their biographies are there, such and such a narrator, he was this, he was that, such and such a narrator, he was this, he was that. Huge 20, 30, 40 volume books giving you biographies of those narrators. He was authentic, he wasn't. He used to have a few mistakes. His memory wasn't that good. Details all there. So they would go and investigate and analyze the narrators. And this analysis of the narrators and analysis of the chains of narration is something that distinguishes this religion distinguishes this religion from all others. The isnad, the checking of that isnad, that is something that others do not have. 
So this is a miza, miza to هذه الأمة المسلمة عن غيرها من الأمم. This is something of a distinction for Ahlul Islam that we have the change of narration even now. There are people who recite the Quran, for example, and they have a chain of narration all the way to the Prophet ﷺ. Right now, there will be somebody who learned from his Shaykh, who learned from his Shaykh, who learned from his Shaykh, from his Shaykh, from his Shaykh, until you get all the way to the Prophet ﷺ, chain connected. Hadith to this day exists, that there are people who have those chains of narration. That they narrated a hadith from their shaykh, who narrated it from his shaykh, who narrated it from his shaykh, mean learnt it from his shaykh, learnt it from his shaykh, learnt it from his shaykh, from his shaykh, from his shaykh, up until directly to the Prophet ﷺ. Those chains exist to this day. They exist, they are there. All written and recorded and preserved from your shaykh, 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 up to the tabi'i, up to the companion, up to the Prophet So that is a distinction for this ummah, in preservation of this religion and the sunnah. The fourth thing that occurred and began to become widespread, was that they started to write things down in a much more organized way. تَدْوِينُ السُنَّةِ الَّذِي بَدَأَ بِالصُّحُفِ وَأَجْزَاءِ ثُمَّ تَطَوَّرَ إِلَى مُصَنَّفَاتِ مُبَوَّبَةِ وَمُرَتَّبَةِ إِمَّا عَلَى الْأَبْوَابِ كَالْكُتُبِ السِّتَّةِ وَالْمُوَطَّةِ وَغَيْرِهَا وَإِمَّا عَلَى الْمَسَانِيدِ كَمُسْنَدِ أَحْمَدُ وَغَيْرِهَا During the time of the tabi'een, they started to write in a much more organized way. During the time of the Sahaba, did they used to write down hadith? Yes, they did. But it wasn't in organized books and files. It was a hadith here, a hadith there, some here, some there. But they had it written down in various places, parchments, papers, scrolls. But not organized into a book. Not like all of the hadith about how to make wudu organized. And all of the hadith about how to pray organized. It wasn't like that. At the time of the Sahaba, they had hadith here, hadith there, scrolls, parchment, papers, they had it all written here and there. At the time of the Tabi'een, it became much more organized how they wrote. They began to organize that sunnah into much more detailed books. So you had the hadith organized in chapters, you had books organized in topics, it began to be much more organized the writings and the records and the books they had. Some of them were organized upon the chapters of fiqh. So they would organize all the hadith about wudu in one section, about ghusl in one section, purification as a whole in one section, about prayer in another section, zakat in another section, fasting in another section. So they would have that book organized on chapters, just like you see the books now organized on chapters. And others, they organized their books upon the chains of narration. Like all of the hadith of Abu Huraira in one chapter. All of the hadith of another companion in another chapter. Another companion, all of them in another chapter. So that was another way of organizing hadith. 
So at that time, the time of the Tabi'een, they began to organize the writings much more. Putting them together in an ordered fashion much more. وَغَيْرِ ذَلِكَ مِنَ الْمَجَالَاتِ مِمَّا سَيَأْتِي تَفْصِيلُهُ فِي مَوْضِعِهِ مِنْ هَذَا الْبَحْثِ بِإِذْنِ اللَّهِ And there are other details of how they wrote in the books later on to come yet. So when they were doing that, obviously they would only take the narrations from the reliable narrators. And they would not take them from narrators who are unreliable, untrustworthy, unable to narrate. Al-Imam Muslim said, Al-Imam Muslim, he mentioned, وَعَلَمْ وَفَّقَكَ اللَّهِ أَنَّ الْوَاجِبَ عَلَى كُلِّ أَحَدٍ عَرَفَ التَّمْيِيزِ بَيْنَ صَحِيحِ الرِّوَيَاتِ وَسَقِيمِهَا وَثِقَاتِ النَّاقِلِينَ لَهَا مِنَ الْمُتَّهِمِينَ أَنْ لَا يَرْوِيَ مِنْهَا إِلَّا مَا عَرَفَ صِحَّةَ مَخَارِجِهِ وَالسِّتَارَةِ فِي نَاقِلِهِ وَأَنْ يَتَّقِي مِنْهَا مَا كَانَ مِنْهَا عَنْ أَهْلِ التُّهْمِ وَالْمَعَانِدِينَ مِنْ أَهْلِ الْبِدَعِ He said, you should know, may Allah give you success, that the obligation upon everyone who knows the distinction between the authentic narrations and the unauthentic ones, and the reliable narrators from those who have been accused of otherwise, is that you therefore do not narrate except those narrations that you are aware of the authenticity of their sources. For all those who know the distinction between authentic and non-authentic narrations, and between the reliable and non-reliable narrators, then you should only be taking the narrations that are coming from reliable and authentic sources. And that the narrators are reliable. And to fear Allah, and not to take from the people who have been accused, and who oppose the truth, and are from the people of innovation. And that's exactly what they did, the tabi'in. They would take from the reliable narrators, And they would not take from the unreliable, untrustworthy, those who could not memorize or those who lied, etc. ثُمَّ سَاقَ بِإِسْنَادِهِ عَنَبِ هُرَيْرَةَ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْهُ And then he mentioned the hadith from Abu Huraira that the Prophet ﷺ said, يَكُونُ فِي آخِرِ الزَّمَانِ دَجَّالُونَ كَذَّابُونَ يَأْتُونَكُمْ مِنَ الْحَدِيثِ بِمَا لَمْ تَسْمَعُوا أَنْتُمْ وَلَا آبَاؤُكُمْ فَإِيَّاكُمْ وَإِيَّاهُمْ لَا يَظِلُّونَكُمْ وَلَا يَفْتِنُونَكُمْ That the Prophet ﷺ said, there are going to be absolute excessive liars at the end of time. دَجَّالُونَ كَذَّابُونَ Excessive absolute liars and they are going to come to you with a hadith so called a hadith that neither you have heard of nor your forefathers had heard of <coughs> so be warned from them these liars who come and make up narrations hadith which are not hadith and they claim them to be hadith you have not heard of them and neither your forefathers heard of them be warned of them that they do not lead you astray and they do not cause you a trial. And that is something established. 
how some of the individuals of the past and to this day, they lie. They used to make up narrations, fabricate narrations altogether. Like the example where some of them said, سَيَأْتِي عَلَىٰ أُمَّةِ رَجُلٌ أَضَرُّ عَلَيْهَا مِنْ إِبْلِيسِ اسْمُهُ مُحَمَّدِ بْنُ إِدْرِيسِ Or something along those lines, that there is going to come a man more harmful to my ummah than Muhammad ibn, uh, than Iblis himself. There is going to come a man more harmful to my ummah than Iblis himself. His name is going to be Muhammad ibn Idris. Muhammad ibn Idris, al-imam, al-shafi'i. So some of the Hanafis or others, they invented this fake, made-up hadith, lie to try and get people away from Al-Imam Shafi'i. Fabricated narration completely. And there are others too. In fact, some of the scholars, they even wrote books where they put all of the fabricated hadith together. There are books, big books, full of fabricated hadith. Why? The scholars did that on purpose. So you have a reference. You can go and check. Is this hadith one of the fabricated ones? Yes, there it is. It's fabricated. It's like an encyclopedia of fabricated narrations. So anytime you come across something you're not sure, you can go check. Is it in there? Yes, it is in there. So it is fabricated, this one. It gives you a resource to verify whether something is fabricated or not. And to understand which narrations are fabricated. They're all there. They've been compiled into books. So... Uh, this is one of the key things that the tabi'een, they began to focus on at that time. Checking the narrations, checking the people that they were getting this knowledge from. It's mentioned by Ibn Sirin, a famous narration from Ibn Sirin. He said, إِنَّ هَذَا الْعِلْمَ فَانْظُرُوا عَمَّنْ تَأْخُذُونَ دِينَكُمْ Indeed, this knowledge is religion. So look carefully to whom you take your religion from. Meaning, don't blindly just take any narrations from anybody just like that. These narrations you're taking, this knowledge you're taking, it isn't just knowledge of academics. It's not knowledge of math, so English. This is knowledge (coughs) of religion. This is knowledge of Quran and Sunnah. (coughs) This is knowledge of how to worship your Lord. So when you're taking knowledge of religion, don't blindly take it from anywhere. Ibn Sirin said, (coughs) إِنَّ هَذَا الْعِلْمَ دِينَ فَانْظُرُوا عَمَّنْ تَأْخُذُونَ دِينَكُمْ Indeed, this religion, this knowledge is religion. So look to where you take your religion from. And this is a big problem these days. Because the people take their religion blindly from anybody and anyone. Anybody comes along, puts up some, some videos, some recordings, some websites... And people blindly Google, see whatever result and start following and reading and watching and listening. No idea whether those people are qualified, who they are looking at, who they are taking from. 
No idea if those people actually have a basis in knowledge, whether those people have actually studied with the scholars, whether they've actually finished and completed these books with the scholars, the basic principles they've learned them from the scholars or not. Many of these so-called da'is, as they may call themselves, da'wa man and da'wa this and da'wa, put da'wa into their names. Their channel is called da'wa this and da'wa that. Are they actually even qualified for da'wah? Have they even studied or learned the principles of the religion? Have they gone and sat with the scholars? For many of them, the answer is no to all of that. So how are they qualified to be giving da'wah? فَاقِدُ الشَّيْءِ لَا يُعْطِيهِ Somebody who hasn't got something cannot give it out to anybody else. If they do not have knowledge themselves, they cannot give knowledge out to others. They themselves are in need of it. And it's a disaster these days. People will blindly follow anyone. Anybody who's a celebrity, he a celebrity there, he becomes known on social media, let's follow him. Let's listen to his talks, let's listen to his lectures. And you have no idea whether that person is qualified, whether he's teaching the methodology of Ahlul Sunnah or not. He's just somebody who's become popular and known. So be very careful. Do not blindly take your knowledge from anywhere. Don't blindly go to any YouTube channel, any YouTube personality. Do not blindly take knowledge. This knowledge is your religion. This is how you're going to worship Allah. So make sure you check where you're taking your knowledge from. Who are these people? Are they studied anywhere? Have they qualified? Have they got uh, ability to teach? Have they been with the scholars? Check who these people are. If they've got that background and they have studied and they've learned and they've benefited and they're teaching upon the way of Ahlul Sunnah, then good. But if they're not, then do not take your knowledge blindly. And this is what they said. Indeed, this, this knowledge is religion. So look to whom you take your religion from. Ibn Sirin also said, لم يكونوا يسألون عن الإسناد فلما وقعت الفتنة قالوا سموا لنا رجالكم فينظر إلى أهل السنة فيؤخذ حديثهم وينظر إلى أهل البدع فلا يؤخذ حديثهم That they never used to ask about the chain of narration he says They never used to ask about the chain of narration But when the fitna occurred when that door was opened and the trials and tribulations, the people of innovation and desires began spreading their poisons, then he said, we began saying, Name your men to us. Meaning, who have you taken this from? Who has he taken it from? Tell us your chains of narration. Tell us who your shaykhs are. Let us establish whether it's authentic and reliable or not. Name to us your men. فَيُنظَرُ إِلَى أَهْلِ سُنَّةِ فَيُخَذُ حَدِيثُهُمْ So he said, we would look at the people of hadith, and we would take their narrations, أَهْلُ السُنَّةِ But as for the أَهْلُ الْبِدَعِ وَيُنظَرُ إِلَى أَهْلِ الْبِدَعِ فَلَا يُخَذُ حَدِيثُهُمْ That the people of innovation, they would not take their narrations from them. They would not take the narrations from the people of innovation. And there is some explanation to that. We'll come to it later insha'Allah.
وعن عبدان بن عثمان المرغزي قال سمعت عبد الله ابن المبارك يقول عبد الله ابن المبارك said الإسناد من الدين ولولا الإسناد لقال من شاء ما شاء that the chain of narration is from the religion and was it not then anybody would have said whatever they wanted to say if there was no such thing as the chains of narration in verifying the news verifying the hadith then anybody could say whatever they wanted to say anybody could fabricate whatever they wanted to fabricate it's like that narration of Ahmad ibn Hanbal and Yahya ibn Ma'in one time they went and they heard somebody giving some khutbah or some speech and in that speech he was quoting and I heard a hadith from and he quoted his chain of narration and in that chain of narration he mentioned Ahmad ibn Hanbal and Yahya ibn Ma'in Ahmad ibn Hanbal and Yahya ibn Ma'in mentioned them in the chain of narration and they were there listening to his talk and they knew they knew they hadn't narrated that hadith that he was quoting and mentioning them in the chain of narration so after the talk they went to him and they said that narration that you were quoting and you gave your chain of narration and you said in that chain of narration was Ahmad ibn Hanbal and Yahya ibn Ma'in they said well I'm Ahmad ibn Hanbal and this is Yahya ibn Ma'in and we never narrated this hadith to you so now that man knew he'd been caught red-handed as they say. Caught red-handed. He was trying to quote Ahmad ibn Hanbal, Yahya ibn Ma'in in his chain of narration. Because that would be a very solid chain of narration. But on this occasion they were there and they caught him out. They said, where Ahmad ibn Hanbal, Yahya ibn Ma'in? We never told you this hadith, where have you got it from? So he knew he was caught. But what did he do then? Knowing he was caught... He said, well, do you think you're the only guy called Ahmad ibn Hanbal and you're the only one called Yahya ibn Ma'in? There's another Ahmad ibn Hanbal and another Yahya ibn Ma'in I was narrating in my chain of narration. And of course he knew that was only to try and save face. So this is what they used to do. If you don't verify, you don't check, then they may well say whatever they want to say and people make up whatever they want to make up. Now anybody can come along Anybody can make a website, you have no idea who that website is, who made it, what they're writing there, what the sources are. On WhatsApp, people send messages, you got to do this act of worship or do that act of worship, you'll get this reward, that reward. No references, no sources, no nothing. Just a message like that. Blind. You cannot blindly just follow things like this without knowing any details upon the authenticity of what is being said. And who is saying it and verifying it? <coughs> so Abdullah ibn Mubarak said, the chain of narration is from the religion. If it wasn't, then anybody would have said whatever they wanted to say. Also, it's mentioned that Abdullah ibn Mubarak once said in front of the people, once he said in front of the people, دعوا حديث عمر بن ثابت فإنه كان يصب السلف He said to them all forget about the narrations of Amr ibn Thabit forget about his narrations leave them 
because he used to curse the Salaf. Why is he addressing the people by mass? All of them, forget about Amr ibn Thabit, don't take his narrations, he used to curse the Salaf. This is how the Salaf were, to maintain and preserve the Sunnah. Telling them all, such and such a narrator, he used to curse the Salaf. Don't take his narrations. He's not a trustworthy and reliable person to be taking narrations from. And there are many examples of that type of thing. There is an example from Ubaidullah ibn Amr. Qal Zayd ibn Abi Unaysa. Zayd ibn Abi Unaysa said, لا تأخذوا عن أخي وقال عبد الله بن عمر كان أخوه يحيى ابن أبي أنيسة كذابا that Zayd ibn Abi Unaysa said to the people do not take narrations from my brother his own actual brother he said do not take narrations from my brother his own blood brother. And he's telling people, don't take his narrations. Why? Because his brother was known as a liar. His brother was known as a liar. And so he himself, about his own family, his own blood, his own brother, was telling the people, don't take narrations from my brother. Such was their preservation of the sunnah. Wasn't a case of, but he's my brother, keep his honor, uh, respect, I don't want to uh, 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 like degrade him in front of the people, I don't want to humiliate him in front of the people, just let it pass. No. When it came to religion, it came to hadith, then they maintained and preserved, even for their own family, they would maintain and preserve it still. There are even narrations where some of them used to say, don't take from my... Father, about your own father. They would say, don't take narrations from my father. Because that man, their father, was obviously not good in the narrations. So they would tell people, this was their honesty and their dignity and their honor for Islam. Even their own father, their own brother, if they couldn't reliably narrate hadith and there was a chance and a risk of corruption coming into the hadith, the sunnah of the Prophet, then they wouldn't say, but he's my father, but he's my brother. They would tell people, you can't take narrations from my father, you can't take narrations from my brother. In order to maintain the sunnah, preserve the sunnah and not allow any corruption to come into it. So that was one of the key things that occurred during the time of the Salaf. The checking of the chains of narration. The verification of the men in the chains of narration. Who is this? Who is that? Finding out if they are reliable to make sure that the hadith is therefore authentic. They did all of that at the time. If they didn't do that, then like we said, now you would have all types of narrations and there's no way to know what's true and what's not. They investigated and they checked to establish the authentic from the non-authentic. Another thing which occurred during the time of the companions and the tabi'een is <coughs> traveling. 
We briefly touched upon this before, that at the time of the companions, they used to travel long distances for a single hadith sometimes. And this is something which definitely occurred and began at the time. The Prophet ﷺ even mentioned in a hadith, مَنْ سَلَكَ طَرِيقًا يَلْتَمِسُ فِيهِ عِلْمًا سَهَّلَ اللَّهُ لَهُ بِهِ طَرِيقًا إِلَى الْجَنَّةِ That whomsoever treads upon a pathway seeking by it knowledge, then Allah will make his pathway to paradise easy. So that narration is talking about traveling. Of course we know even if you stay in your home because you have no option of traveling and you study and you learn, you're still included in the virtue of the hadith. But the default of it is actual physical traveling. The Prophet ﷺ telling us, whomsoever travels out for knowledge, then Allah will make your path to paradise easy because of it. وَقَدْ كَانَتْ الرِّحْلَةَ فِي طَلَبِ الْحَدِيثِ مِنْ لَوَازِمْ طَرِيقَةِ الْمُحَدِّثِينَ وَمَنْهَجِهِمْ فِي التَّحْصِيلِ الْعِلْمِ Traveling out for knowledge, it was like what we say now, the bread and butter in those days. That was the basic method of gaining knowledge. You had to travel out to the mashayikh, to the shaykh, to the narrators. You had to travel out. That was the basic method. It was a necessity for knowledge. These days, the, the social media, the internet, the connect, it's all different. In those days, the basic concept was, for knowledge, you have to travel out. So that's what they used to do. Ibn Salah said, وَإِذَا فَرَغَ مِنْ سَمَاعِ الْعَوَالِ وَالْمَهِمَّاتِ الَّتِي بِبَلَدِهِ فَلْيَرْحَلْ إِلَى غَيْرِهِ This was their method. That when they finished off in their own area, they learned everything they could from the teachers in their area, and they were done. The next step was, in that case now, travel out and go to another area for the teachers over there. That's what they would do. And it's mentioned in a narration, uh, Yahya ibn Ma'in said, Arba'a la tu'nasu minhum rushda. Four types of people don't expect any goodness from them. Who are they? حارس الدرب ومنادي القاضي وابن المحدث ورجل يكتب في بلده ولا يرحل في طلب الحديث. Four people he mentioned, various categories, but the point that we want to highlight, one of the four people he mentioned where I don't expect goodness from them, is a man who writes knowledge in his own land, and does not travel out for knowledge in other lands, then don't expect goodness from him. Meaning he's not going to have a great deal of knowledge, he's not going to have a great deal of understanding. All he's done is just where he lives. He's never gone out to travel to the scholars, to travel to the teachers, to the narrators. Then don't expect much good from him. So they used to think and consider traveling out to the scholars as a basic concept. That's something you do by necessity. You travel out to where the knowledge is. And that is something again, in this time the people have become very weakened. In those days, the students would go to wherever the teacher was. In these days, even if the teacher comes to your back garden or to your backyard, into your area, 
the people still don't come. They won't even come to the lectures in their own cities, let alone traveling out to other places. And it doesn't make sense what the people are upon now in their laziness. How are you going to gain knowledge otherwise? You start in your own area. Begin there. That's what they used to do. Seek the knowledge in your area. Start there. Teachers are there. Learn from them. They are legitimate teachers coming. Ahlul Sunnah, Salafiyun. Then learn from them. Then afterwards comes the, the time of traveling. In these days, people cannot even get to the classes in their cities and their localities, let alone traveling out. And then you have the bizarre concept of some maybe traveling out and not attending in their own cities. Begin in a very simple way. In your cities you have knowledge, you have Ahlul Sunnah, Salafiyun, students, scholars, teaching, start there. Go to those classes, sit down and learn. That is the way of the Salaf. Then on top of that, if you have the energy and time and ability, you can travel out and attend an extra class somewhere else too maybe. But at least get the beginning started. In your own areas, in your localities, in your cities, in your marakis, attend those gatherings and encourage others to attend those gatherings. Do not discourage the people from it. Do not discourage the people and show a lack of enthusiasm. Begin there. Encourage the people, your friends and families to attend those gatherings of knowledge. And then after that comes the traveling. In these days, if we can even get the people in their own localities, that is a victory itself before getting into the traveling. But this is what they used to do then. Seek the knowledge in their areas and then travel out also to other areas. The next section here is going to talk about how traveling to other areas began and progressed. When did that first begin properly? How did it begin? Where did they used to travel to? What did they used to do in their travels? The progression of traveling for knowledge. That is the next chapter. And we'll begin that the next lesson inshallah ta'ala. How that journeying and traveling was conducted by the Salaf. Inshallah we'll begin with that next week at approximately 7 p.m. I won't conclude upon that for today. Any questions or anything on that? There will be an ah, where the hadith is? Yes. The hadith that during the end of time or coming to the end of time, there will be excessive liars and they will claim affairs which are not from authentic sources. This narration is mentioned by an Imam Muslim in the introduction to Sahih Muslim. Sahih Muslim has an introduction at the beginning. Yeah. It's in that introduction part. So we'll round off on that then. Carry on next week inshallah ta'ala. Wa sallallahu alayhi wa sallam.